Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, but let me ask this. How many people um, went to Sunday school as a kid? Like went to, oh, a lot of people. Okay, awesome. Um, they tell you stories. They take Bible stories that, you know, and they, they shape them for younger minds. They give you milk, cookies, play games, do all that stuff. Um, but there's a lot of accounts from the Bible that they don't share in Sunday school. They actually can't. It's not that they don't want to. They just, there's some dark stuff, and they don't want to be responsible for your children having to go to therapy. They share some of the things that actually occurred in the Bible with your children at younger ages. So they only share age-appropriate stuff. Uh, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of focus on some of those things because they're actually in there for us to know, for us to learn from, for us to grow from. Uh, so I wanted to start this new series called Stories They Don't Tell You in Sunday School. Granted, they're a reason. They're not trying to keep anything from you. Uh, and it's one of those series that we're going to keep coming back to, and we have several of those. Um, you guys remember we started doing a series called The Elephant in the Room, which we talked about last week, where every now and then we just look at what's going on in the culture, in the community, and say, you know, how can we ignore this? Let's talk about it. So we talked about coronavirus months ago. We talked about uh, racism. We talked about all this stuff just going on in our culture. Uh, we also have a series that we do called The Best of the Story, right? How many remember Paul Harvey, The Rest of the Story? Yeah, he would do the radio show, and he would tell you this popular thing, and then he would come back and say, and here's the rest of the story. So what we do is we do that. We take a biblical account, and we share it, and then we say, here's the rest of the story, the things you may not know, but then we also say, here's the best of the story, how it applies to your life and how it can be a blessing to your life to know this information. Uh, and now we're going to add to that this, uh, stories they don't tell you in Sunday school. I will say this. Um, it's a little weird, just what we're going to talk about today. Is everyone okay talking about some weird stuff in church? Hopefully, yes. Um, it's also a little dark. So if you guys are watching online, uh, maybe what you can do is if you have children in the room, uh, there will come a point where I ask you guys to maybe send them to get some milk and cookies or out to cut the grass or something, uh, just so they don't get traumatized. Um, but this account takes place at the end of the period of the judges. And usually, and we've taught through judges, whenever people teach through judges, they will talk about this, they won't focus on it. They kind of highlight it, they don't stick there and dwell on it and dig into it and go into detail like we're going to do today. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to put all the verses up on the screen, but if you want to follow along, open up to Judges chapter 19, which is what we're going to be in. Uh, but during this period of the Judges, this is after Moses, this is after Joshua, uh, Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery into the promised land, or excuse me, up to the promised land. Joshua took them into the promised land, and they began to conquer and take possession of the land that God said that he was going to give to them. But there's a lot of places where they didn't. They didn't follow through. They got lazy. They didn't finish it. And a lot of the people of the land still stayed there. And once Moses and Joshua were gone, the people didn't have a king. This is before they had kings. Excuse me. So there was a phrase that is throughout the book of Judges that kind of 
typified what was going on there. And it was this phrase in Judges chapter 17. It says, at that time, and I put this in the complete Jewish Bible version. We're going to walk through it in the NIV. But uh, it's in the complete Jewish Bible version because I think it says it more succinctly. At that time, there was no king in Israel. A man simply did whatever he thought was right. Every single person just did whatever they thought was right which is okay if we're all following the same moral guidelines and standards, but they were not. Each person said, well, I think it's okay to do this. Same thing we have today because people are saying, yes, I'm calling myself a Christ follower, but I think it's okay to do this because the culture says it's okay. Well, I'm calling myself a Christ but I think it's okay to do this, and they're not actually following this, which if you're going to call yourself a Christ follower, this is what God calls us to follow, okay, the Bible. So, Judges chapter 19, uh, and again, we're going to dig into it. First couple of verses, okay, then it's going to get really weird and really dark really quick. So, in those days, again, this is chapter 19, Israel had no king. Now, a Levite who lived in a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And this is a perfect example of people doing what they thought was right, not what God said was right, but what they thought was right. The Levites, just a little bit of background, were the people who said by birth, if you're a Levite by birth, you're the people that are supposed to either preach, take care of, or work in the temple. So if we look today and there were Levites, it would be the people who either preach, uh, either maintain the church, they, they, they update, not the church, we're the church, the building, they take care of the building, they take care of the stuff in the building, they're the deacons, they're the ministers, they're the, all the people, their specific role, some of it was to carry the things from place to place, some of it was to clean the items, some of it was to, to take care of it, but they had specific roles. And it was all tied to upkeep and maintaining the temple. And they were allowed to marry, but here's, here's, here's where we see the difference. Uh, what this particular Levite did, rather than take a wife, he took a concubine. And what that means is he takes someone, they have a wedding ceremony, but whereas the wife is now committed to the husband, the husband has no commitment whatsoever to the wife. Other than, and don't, don't get mad at me, this is back then, different times, other than you have a place to stay, you have a place to eat food, and coitus, okay? Now, if she had a child, she had no legal ties to the child. If he were to, something were to happen to him, she had no legal ties to the property or to anything. Basically, all she had was a ceremony that said, I get food, place to sleep, and coitus from you. That's his only commitment. That is why there were a lot of people who took concubines instead of wives. If they took a wife, there was a total commitment from both sides. If you took a concubine, you did not have to commit to her. As a Levite, he could have and should have taken a wife. Instead, he took a concubine, and we're going to see why, and it's because he wanted to do what he thought was right for him. Right? So, uh, but she was unfaithful to him. She left him, went back to her parents' home in Bethlehem, Judah. After she had been there four months, her husband went to her to persuade her to return. They took a servants, two donkeys, went to his parents' home, and the father welcomed them in. Now, if you can see from the context, it says she was unfaithful to him. So she had an extramarital affair. 
But if you can see from the context, it is likely, the Bible doesn't tell us this, it is likely it wasn't that she just wanted someone else. It's that she wasn't happy with that marital commitment because she didn't leave him and then go to another man. She had a relationship with another man, and she left him and went back to her parents' home. And you can see the way the marital relationship went because it was four months before he decided, I need to go get her to come back. It wasn't the day after. It wasn't the next time. Apparently, he was okay with her being gone for four months. And when he went after her, she took him into her parents' home. She welcomed him. So it looks like she was willing to, hey, let's work on this. Because she could have just slammed the door and said, nope, I'm at my parents' house. I'm done. But it looks like she was willing to work on it. Now, he went in, uh, stayed with the parents' home. Apparently, they talked and they worked it out. And then she said, okay, I'm going to go back with you. I'm going to go back to our home. We're going to try to make this work. At least that's the understanding because she agreed to go with him. But when you drop a few verses down, as they were traveling, when they were near Jebus, they were on their way back home, they were near Jebus, I'm probably mispronouncing that, and the day was almost gone, servant said to his master, come, let's stop at this city of the Jebusites and spend the night. His master replied, no, we won't go into any city whose people are not Israelites. We will go on to Gibeah. And it makes sense because there was a way when you were traveling that people used to treat one another. Now, the Jebusites, or Jebus, that's actually Jerusalem. It's later going to become Jerusalem. This is an area in Jebus where uh, it was populated by people called the Amorites, and they had not been cast out, even though, you know, God said, go cast these people out of the land. I'm going to be with you. Take possession and, and do it. These are people that they did not cast out. Later, King David's going to come. He's going to capture that city. He's going to make it the seat of the nation of Israel. But right now, he says, hey, look, there are people living here that I don't know. I don't know their values. I don't know their morals. I'm not trying to stay here for the night. So they continued to travel on until they came to um, the area he was looking for, Gibeah, and it was populated by the Benjamites, which is a tribe of the nation of Israel. And what they would do is when people were traveling, they would go to the center square, and they would hang out there, and someone would say, hey, uh, you look like you're traveling. Do you need a place to stay? And they would say, yeah. I need a place to stay. And they would say, you could come stay with me. And that's what happened. An older man stopped him. He said, you're welcome at my house, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need. Don't spend the night in the square. So he took him into his house, fed his donkeys, washed his feet, and gave him food to eat and drink. This is the way the church is supposed to operate. Okay? It doesn't matter what skin color you are. It doesn't matter what political party you are. None of that matters. If you're a Christ follower, you should be able to go anywhere in the world. And if you connect with another Christ follower, you should be welcomed into their home. They should be welcomed into yours. Why? Because God welcomes all of us into his kingdom. We're connected. The same blood that raised, that, that, that Jesus Christ shed for me, he shed for you and for you and for you. He didn't ask what color you are. He didn't ask how do you vote. He shed that blood so that we could become part of the body of Christ and become family. And no matter where we go in the world, when you meet another Christ follower, we're family. It's like how many of you guys have done, I haven't done it yet. Um, guess I need to. Uh, what is it, Ancestry.com or, or, or what's the other one? You and me, one, two, and three. What is it? 23 and me, yeah, yeah. 
which she's on Shark Tank, cool. Uh, but uh, Ancestry.com and 23andMe, and, and those are places where people find relatives. They're like, oh, you're my long lost cousin from this, from here, three, twice removed, whatever. And they connect and they meet and they have meals together and they welcome one another. They fellowship together. That's the exact same thing that's supposed to happen with a Christ follower. I'm supposed to go, hey, I've never met you before. Joe, you're a Christ follower. I'm a Christ follower. We're connected. We're family. This is what's supposed to happen in the church. Everything else that we're about to read is not supposed to happen in the church. And this might, if you're watching online and you have little ones in the room, this might be a good time to send them off on some errands to play outside, cut the grass or something. Okay, so uh, after that happens, while they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. Most people think, oh yeah, I remember that from Sodom and Gomorrah. Was it just Sodom and Gomorrah? And when you were in Sodom and Gomorrah, there were Canaanite people who had different sexual values. These are the people of God. These are the Benjamites, the tribe of Benjamin. Now, granted, it does say uh, some of the wicked men of the city. Because it's indicating not everyone was like that. But just as there were wicked people there, there are people today in the church who have values and, and morals that don't line up with the word of God. And before anyone complains about, you know, is God against homosexuality, it doesn't matter what our views on sexuality are. If you're a Christ follower, what we are agreeing to is God's views on sexuality. And God says, I don't condone that. And if you disagree with that, that's okay. Take it up with God when you get to heaven. But for right now, and for back then, this was not the right way to treat a house guest or to treat someone that's visiting your city. They said, bring out the uh, man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. The owner of the house went outside and said to them, no, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this outrageous thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now, and you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But as for this man, don't do such an outrageous thing. Now, here's, here's I'm contemplating getting on the soapbox again, because here's, 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 here's the deal. I get that this older man is trying to protect his house guest, but he also did what he thought was right, which was wrong. If you're a Christ follower, you don't take, hey, the lesser evil and say, I'm going to do the lesser evil. What we should be saying is, I'm always going to try to do what God tells us to do. And saying that I'm going to give my virgin daughter and my concubine so that you can have them is no. What he should have said was when he came outside is, hey, you know what? You're not going to take this man. You're not going to take my virgin daughter. You're not going to take anyone. You have to come through me first. It's hard as Christ followers, especially today, to take a stand. But if we don't, no one will. And there are so many things. I got to grab the soapbox. Sorry. Just bear with me. So many things that we should be taking a stand for. So here, I got to get on this because here with me. Just, just bear with me. Okay. I get 
that people are against this whole Black Lives Matter movement, the organization. I'm not proud of the organization either. I don't want to associate with the organization. I do not have a problem at saying that Black Lives Matter. If you're a Christ follower, you should be able to say, yes, Black lives do matter without and adding, but what about this? What about that? There's no but. It is not okay to degrade, treat, or disrespect another person because of their race, period. That's the end of the sentence. There is no but other lives matter. There is no but blue lives matter. When something happens to a cop and they're like, right now, our nation has gone crazy and there are people attacking cops, yes. Then you can say, yeah, you know what? Blue lives do matter. If your child came home from school and they got beat up, would anyone say, hey, what about all the other children? You'd say, no, what the heck happened to my child? You would go to the school and say, hey, why, how could you let this happen? And you wouldn't take the school saying, oh, yeah, but there are other children who we have to take care of. Right? And, and when, when, when something happens in our country and, and, and the church is silent like it is now, it causes people to doubt the reality that God exists or even cares. And the church has to be willing to say, hey, you know what? I'm the first person to say yes. If anyone does anything to a cop, I've said this before, I, I have family members who are police. I pray for them. I want them to be safe. And whenever I see something that happened to a cop, yeah, let's pray because blue lives do matter. One has nothing to do with the other. The church has to be willing to step up and say, yeah, you know what? They do matter. And I get that there's this big racial divide. I can get off the soapbox now. Sorry. This big racial divide in our nation right now, there should not be one in the church. The church should be able to say, when we see a wrong, I don't care what the rest of the culture says, this will not be tolerated. Period. End of discussion. And when someone like something like this happens, I get that he's trying to appease the other people. It is not the job of the church to appease anyone. It is the job of the church to say, we stand on this, the word of God and the word of God alone, period, end of sentence. You don't have to like me. You don't have to agree with me. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this because the word of God says so, period, end of sentence. Okay, moving on. But then he says this, but the men would not listen to him. So the man, again, now he's doing what he thinks is right in his mind. The man took his concubine, sent her outside to them, and they raped her and abused her throughout the night. And at dawn, they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door, and lay there until daylight. So again, this is him saying, hey, for his own protection, Rather than, hey, you guys take me, he says, I'm going to take this concubine, which again shows you the degree, his level of commitment to that relationship and to that marriage. Where he says, I'm, for my own protection, I'm going to put you out there. And then this is what happens next when her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way. Now, I'm going to stop there because, again, he's doing what he thought was right. He didn't say, I'm going to go look for her. He didn't say, I'm going to go find her. He said, I'm going to write her off, and I'm going to go home. 
So he opened the door, uh, stepped out to continue on his way, and there lay his concubine, fallen in the door of the house, with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let's go. There was no answer. Then the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. When he reached home, and this is where it gets even darker, when he reached home, he took a knife and cut up his concubine, limb by limb, into 12 parts, and sent them into all the areas of Israel. And everyone who saw it was saying, such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the day the Israelites came out of Egypt. What, this, this is outrageous. Now, this is one of the reasons why, in addition to all the sexual stuff, they don't teach this in Sunday school. Because right? if you're in Sunday school, the teacher can't say, okay, I'm going to give you each a little doll. I want you to cut it up into 12 parts, and then we're going to put it into a little envelope, and who are you going to send your arm to? I'm going to send it to my grandma. They can't, you know, they can't do that in Sunday school. Your kids would be traumatized. You would, you, would, you would have a fit. So this is one of the things that they don't touch on. But this is what happens when people don't have a moral standard to follow. Everyone does what they think is right. Now, even though this man was at fault, he was still outraged. He was still upset. And he said, I've got to let the church, the body of Christ, the nation of Israel know what happened. So they, he sent uh, one body part to each representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. And when they got it, they, they cried out that this, this is outrageous. We have to do something. This is probably one of the uh, darkest and most, I don't know any way to say it, weirdest accounts in the Bible. It's also true that this happened. And the people were so outraged that in chapter 20, uh, I just let me summarize real quick, it says, all the men rose up together as one saying, none of us will go home. Not one of us will return to his house. They literally said, we're going to go to war against the Benjamites that did this because this is unacceptable. Now, that's the part that's actually legit. That's the part that the church should be doing when we hear of things that are going on that are outrageous, when we hear of, of things that are, are going against the Bible that are being allowed, not even talking about in the world, just in the church. We should rise up and say, oh, heck no. We won't stand for it. We won't tolerate it. And we're going to cut that type of thing off. Here's the problem, though. This type of behavior is what we see happening today, and it's only going to get worse. I want to share a verse uh, that, that Mark shared in our Tuesday Bible study where we're talking about prophecy. Uh, it's from 2 Timothy, and Paul is writing to Timothy, and actually in a couple of weeks, maybe months down the road, I think in the fall, we'll be going through 2 Timothy. Uh, he says this, Paul writes this, understand this, in the last days will come set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. Here's the reality. We've been in the last days since the day of Pentecost from a biblical timeline perspective. So everything that we're seeing is just going to get worse. Everything that he's about to talk about is going to get ramped up and worse and worse and worse. Excuse me, he says this, for people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered. Check, that, that's our world today. 
lovers of money aroused by an inordinate, greedy desire for wealth. Now, I, I, I get we're in a pandemic and, and people are, you know, the government's trying to figure out, should we close this, close that, close that? But there are so many greedy people that are trying to capitalize on it, that are taking advantage of it. Why else would, again, not going to bring out the soapbox, but why else would when the government says, we're going to make trillions of dollars available to help you guys that, so your businesses are not impacted, and the businesses that took most of it are the ones who have more money than the government, who didn't need it. And all of the small businesses suffered. It was because of greed. Proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters, they will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. This is our culture today. He says they will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate, loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce haters of good. And I don't know, I, I, I say this, and I, I said for the past couple of weeks, I've been trying to avoid the news, hadn't watched it for weeks, and then this past week uh, turned on the news. And one of the first stories is about a group of people who took a man, tied him to a tree, and discussed whether or not they were going to kill him because of the color of his skin. And I'm like, this, this, this is the world that we live in. And for them, they thought, this is okay. This is the world that we live in. He says, they will be treacherous, betrayers, rash, inflated with self-conceit, lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God. And here's the reality. I know this is just, we think this is talking about the world, but it's possible and likely, especially when we read the next verse, which we're going to do, that Paul is talking about these people are in the church. This is what the church is becoming like, not just the world. When, when you look through the Bible and all the talkings that say there's going to be this great falling away, it's not the, the people who don't know God who are falling away. It's the people who proclaim to know God who are falling away. The people who, for although have a form of piety, true religion, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. And this is what, again, this is what Paul says to him, have nothing to do with them. Cut them off. Keep away from them. Don't have anything to do with the people who are claiming to know God but are doing all of these wrong things. Take a stand and say, hey, not in my church, not in my house. We're not going to accept that. We're not going to treat people like that. We're not going to do that. It's unacceptable here. And as we progress into these last days, we're going to see more and more things like this and the church is always, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stand up and say, hey, not going to tolerate it. Not going to accept it. Not going to do it. Peter, when talking about the last days, and I'll share this as the band comes up. When talking about the last days, he says this, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Heavens will disappear with a war. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, and here's the folks part. What kind of people ought you to be? Since we're in the last days, and we know that these things are coming, what kind of people ought we to be? 
He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. It doesn't matter what the world around us is doing. God called us to live by his word and to live out his word. Are people going to talk bad about us? Yes. Are people going to make fun of us? Yes. Are people going to post comments about us? Yes. Are we still the people of God? Yes. Are we still supposed to share and show the love of Christ? Yes. Are we still supposed to tell people that there is a God who loves them and accepts them? Yes. Are we supposed to be the ones who take a stand and say, hey, I don't care what anyone else says. I don't care what the government says. We are not going to tolerate that. Yes. We've got to be the voice that points people to God. We've got to be the voice of hope. We have to be the voice of reason. Every day that it gets worse, the church has to stand up more. Not be quiet more, not be silent more, but to be more out there proclaiming and professing the love of Christ. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we pray that we, your people, would share and show the love of Christ with everyone within our circles of influence. We pray that we would have the strength and the courage to stand up and to proclaim your word with integrity, with honesty, and boldly and regularly. We pray that we would be the voice of hope that this world needs to hear. We pray that we would be able to share with people what you are able to do, what you are capable to do, the things we've been praying for, how you are abundantly able to do, more than we can ask or imagine, even in the harsh, horrible times that we're going through. We pray that we would be the living testimony of your hope to this dark world. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. God, just like we sang, we realize you're the only one who can do what this world needs right now. And the reality is we are the only people, the people of God, who can go and tell the world what you're able to do. I pray that you would impress that upon our hearts, that we would be willing to stand up for you, to proclaim your truth, and to be the people of God, to be the church to a desperately hurting world. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. 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 Amen.